Texas talking. Oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking. Oh, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking. Tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are in Texas talking. Welcome this morning. Uh, it's my privilege to introduce the. Uh, uh, trip cast this morning and and uh, we've got exciting times here in the state and there's gonna be some changes and uh, I look forward to this learned panels uh, uh, perspective on all that so thank you Reed right. thank you very much thank you chairman when he said there were going to be changes is one of us getting voted off the island <laughs> That's what we're going to do for Q&A. Can I go back to sleep? I didn't know we could primary you, but now that I think about it, that might have been fun. Well, so welcome to the TripCast. This is our live post-primary TripCast, a very special event. There's nowhere I would rather be right now. Other than bed. I'm sure. Uh, I'm Reed Hamilton. I'm joined by Editor-in-Chief and CEO Evan Smith, Executive Editor Ross Ramsey, and Editor Emily Ramshaw. Uh, and so all of us, we were at the office very late last night. Uh, I noticed the headline on the New York Times today is Texas GOP beats back challenges from the right. Um, <laughs> what would we say? We actually got an explanation on that. It looks like the copy editor misfired a little early and it never got fixed. So. Well, the original headline was something about the establishment having a good night. It was, is, that a, is that a correct take? Is that your take, Ralph? It's actually It was actually sort of a split. I mean, they both walked away with something they can brag about. You know, the, the, you know, however you want to label these guys, the insurgents or whatever, the populists, the Tea Partyists, you know, whatever, movement conservatives, won some races. They got Diane Patrick, uh, Tony Tinderholt won that race. Um, of course, my mind is gone. Bennett Ratliff, George Lavender, Lance Gooden. John Corona. John Corona. John Corona right. Look, I, I have to say, I, I, I don't think that... Well, the on, the other, that on the other side of this, yeah. I mean, you know, they, they, um, the establishment wins with Keffer. Um, you know, they won a bunch of these races. Saving Jim Keffer, Myra Crownover, and Kel Seliger is not a victory equal in any way, though, to what... The, let, let's call it for what it is. It right. was a bloodbath for the moderates, a, blood, a bloodbath against the moderates. It was a bloodbath against the establishment... I don't think there's any way that you can that one can look at this, a headline writer or anybody else, as anything other than a totally uneven outcome. I mean, it's, I think the Democrats might look at this and say this is the outcome they wanted. You Be know, careful what you wish. Right. I mean, you know, you I think because they think that they can have an easier time in an already uphill primary against some of these guys. Right. I mean, I think that if uh, Leticia Vandepute is looking at running against a Dan Patrick versus running against uh, a David Dewhurst, that she would think she might have greater opportunity with a Dan Patrick yeah. to uh, all those smart-ass West Austin Democrats who crossed over to vote in the Republican primary for Dan Patrick, be careful what you wish. Well, you know, the Democrats keep thinking that, you know, the Republicans that they hate the most are the ones that the Republicans themselves will come to hate the most. That Republican voters will somehow begin thinking like Democrats and the world will be right. And that's not how it works. They elected Dan Patrick, who was the guy, or looked like they're on the way to doing that. They preferred Dan Patrick. Um, you may get a text from Dewhurst in the middle of this. Well, I might, but he lost 72% in his own primary. Um, right, yeah. He owns that. As an that's incumbent. Right. I mean, that, that's a problem. If you get Dan Patrick, you get the guy who energizes the Republicans the most. If, if Letitia Vandepute was running against a David Dewhurst or is running against a David Dewhurst in November, she's running against the guy the Republican voters were sort of meh about. And, you know, you can make an argument. I would make the argument that... Um, 
in some ways she pairs up better with Dewhurst than with Patrick. I mean, look at all these statewide candidates who we and others wrote stories about saying, you know, they're out on the campaign trail talking about issues that have absolutely nothing to do with the race that they're, right. the, the seat that they're seeking. Abortion, for example. Almost all of those candidates right. w either won their races or came that out. Was, you know, that was primarily Hager, Miller, and Christian mm -hmm. in the Comptroller, Ag, and Railroad. Okay. I, I guess, the, I, I guess abortion is an issue in the Ag Commission. I was wrong. Well, the voters did a, yeah, yeah. the voters did a pretty good job of, you know, 30, I think there were 34 candidates in the top seven races on the Republican side. And the voters, if you look at the result they got this morning, did a pretty good job of saying that one, that one, that one, and that one, and getting there's an ideological line there. It's not like they don't look confused. The right. result it, doesn't look like they went one from column A, one from column B. They went column A, column A, column A. It, it is, Bush, it column is an, A, column A. It is an ideological line. I mean, look, Greg Abbott may be the most moderate statewide elected official in the next cycle. If you, if you go down the list and you go Greg Abbott, Dan You're going to get a text. Well, but, 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 well, I think the Abbott people can survive my saying that. They, their victory was enormous enough. Look, if you go Greg Abbott, let's just sort of play this out. Nothing is decided, but let's play this out. Greg Abbott, Dan Patrick, Ken Paxton, Glenn Hager, Sid Miller, Wayne Christian. I repeat, Greg Abbott may be the most moderate statewide elected official. George Bush. Cycle. And George P. Bush. Politico had a story yesterday morning basically saying, you know, the Tea Party swan song in Texas, you know, all these moderates are going to hang on to their seats. I mean, that looked to be fundamentally flawed by the end of last night. Well, this is all because uh, John Cornyn hung on to his seat. Right. But I think, you know, John Cornyn hanging on to his seat is, is more of a reflection on Stockman not being a good candidate than it was of the Tea Party not wanting somebody other than Cornyn. So you think, if, you think had, the, had the Tea Party nominated a, a less bizarre... Oh, I mean, his, can, his candidacy was completely bizarre. He was completely absent. He wasn't out on the trail. So was he vulnerable he was if... So he was vulnerable. You think Cornyn was vulnerable if there had been one opponent and if that opponent had not been... It might have been a different race. I don't know if he was vulnerable, but he won. He won his election on filing day. You know when, when he, he cornered. Yeah, when the when the people that wanted to unseat him never didn't get a serious candidate. You know everything else was a victory lap. Now he played it. You know like a race, and you know spent money and did all the things that you do. Um, but he never really was seriously threatened after filing day. Did we know from the beginning that Corona was as threatened by Huffines as he turned out to be? I mean, you know, I'm curious, is, is that an example of, of a, this, you know, Tea Party race that we're talking about, or is this just somebody who was able to compete with Corona financially? You know, Corona has stayed too long. I mean, this is, there's always somebody on the ballot, you know, almost every year where you go, you know, they just stayed past their time. Um, we may be saying this about Ralph Hall in, in May, um, <laughs> you know, who got, I think, 44 or 45 percent and is in a runoff with John Ratcliffe, who at one time was Hall's you know, looked like the heir apparent, looked like the guy Hall was going to bless if Hall ever blessed anybody. Um, Corona stayed past his time. He got a very, very wealthy candidate. I don't think it's nothing that everybody in Dallas, Texas knows Huffine Chevrolet and has been driving past that sign and looking at those ads for years and years. That name is deeply embedded. Um, and Huffines was coming from the right part of the party. You know, he had a thing yesterday, a Mount Rushmore mailer it wasn't really a mailer, it was an email, but it was like a Mount Rushmore. It was Dick Army, Rand Paul, Rick Santorum, Ted Cruz, and Don Huffines. I think he hit the right note at exactly the right time against the right guy, and even with that, barely won. Mm -hmm. Well, can we back up, uh, back up the ballot a little bit to where it looked like voters didn't have much of a choice, or we weren't expecting them to have much of a choice, 
Uh, was anyone surprised that Wendy Davis in her primary did not come away with more of the vote? I think her opponent, Ray Madrigal, got about around 20%. <clears throat> 20, uh, 1%. Whenever I went to sleep right. last night, I don't know how. Ray, Ray Madrigal won 26 counties. 26. 26. 26 counties, all of them in South Texas, right? Yeah, it looks like, you know, the. He won the more line. counties, Ross points out. Ray Madrigal won more counties against Wendy Davis than Barack Obama won against Mitt Romney. Um, and these are like, not these are not like counties that we, she didn't visit. I mean, she, no, I mean, she did a whole South Texas well, push. She's been all over the border in the last few weeks. She's had yeah. events down there. You know, I think this is a perfect example of a situation where Abbott is looking this morning at, at South Texas and saying, "We absolutely have an." He's opportunity. got a bib on with a knife and a fork. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely right. And yeah. to be honest, that's a bi- that's a big blow for her. I mean, she's been spending the resources down there. They've been really trying to make inroads. So I think she's right. looking at those numbers this morning and thinking, you know, right. what did we do wrong here? Well, among other things, Lee Nichols boss, as we have said, speculated previously, will not be seen north of I-10 between now and November. Maybe right. Right? I mean, but, but, but look. Do you want to say who his boss is? Uh, Lee Nichols' boss is Senator Vandepute. And the reality is that Senator Vandepute... Lee Nichols uh, Sr.? S- Senator, <laughs> Where does Lee Nichols work? Mrs. Nichols is Lee Nichols' boss. <laughs> Senator Senator Vandepute, uh, Senator Vandepute will be, hopefully, from the Davis campaign's perspective, uh, an antidote to that. But, but look, Aaron Pena, among others in South Texas, have been pushing out the argument for some time that Democrats take Latinos for granted and that the Democrats in South Texas who take Latinos for granted do so at their peril at election time because at some point, under the right circumstances, Republican candidates are going to come along and they're going to pick off votes. Well, and even before that point, you know, if they can, if they can minimize the damage, if it's, a, if it's a matter of a Democrat winning with 65% of the vote in South Texas, or winning with 55% of the vote. I mean, that, that counts. Um, one of the interesting things in 1994 on these same lines was there was a guy who never really showed his face named Gary Espinoza who ran against Ann Richards in the 94 Democratic primary. Apparently lived in a trailer park in East Texas. And um, all he did was pay his filing fee and be named Espinoza, and he got 22%. And it was the, one of the first signs in that cycle that there was a dent in the Ann Richards armor, and it was the same thing. It was this, you know, a, a little bit of a weakness in South Texas. You know, there's been some space between Vandepute and Davis, and Vandepute has said, you know, we're not the same candidate. We're we're campaigning separately. We've got different races we're trying to run. I wonder if you see Wendy Davis trying to have more appearances on the campaign trail going forward with Leticia Vandepute by her side for yeah, that she, reason. She's going, no, no, Leticia, yeah, we yeah. are. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, Leticia Vandepute is running for lieutenant governor. Let's bring up one of our first of a few special guests to talk about the lieutenant governor's race, if Morgan Smith could make her way to the stage. She's very special. <laughs> While she's walking up, I looked up a, a weird stat. Yes, please, please accompany her entrance with a weird stat, if you could. So the weird stat is if he had 74 more votes, Glenn Hager would be a nominee this morning. And he may still. There are provisional ballots to be counted, right? right? So apparently all the ballots cast in Travis County after 7 o'clock yesterday were provisional. provisional. So if you're looking at one of these close races or you're looking at one of these runoff races that involves Travis County, right. that may be, you know, there may be some, some votes to and it, and it gets to a question that we can either spend time I know you want to get to like up. It gets to a question we can spend time with or not, which is what is the etiquette in a case like this for a candidate who is not the first-place finisher in a race where the first place finisher got 49.6%. Yeah, the answer to the question, why was everybody Googling Buddy Temple last night? Right. right. Is Harvey, is Harvey Hildebrand, is, 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 is there a meeting of the Hildebrand campaign brain trust? Right. Right? Yeah. Buddy, going, buddy. Going, do we, do we really want to really go, go through this? 
Isn't, isn't the etiquette that you want to uh, do sort of what you have to to win? Well, I think it's one people, thing. People it's one thing if you're, it's one thing if you're Dan Branch and you got thirty-three odd percent right. against Ken Paxton, and there's a Smitherman vote out there, and you don't know what the turnout looks. It's one thing if you're that. I think if you're not Hager in this race, and you look at Hager, and he's got forty-nine point six or seven percent. Forty-nine point nine. Forty-nine point nine percent. I think the conversation may be a little bit different. Well, how do you? Th- I mean, how is Dewhurst looking at those numbers right. this morning? Good transition. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, Reeve. Got us back on track. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Evan sort of said we can talk about that or not, and then that usually that means he wants to talk about it. Right. <laughs> That's how the newsroom generally happens. That's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I, I woke up this morning and hit refresh on the Secretary of State's website to see if Dewhurst had made it to 30% of the vote. He hasn't. Almost all the votes are in. Still at 28%. Um, and I think that that's, that's... I think that comes as... I think we knew it was going to be a runoff. We knew it was going to be close, but I think that that is, uh, I think that's a surprise that he did do so poorly. Yeah, under 30. I mean, you know, I wonder if it, how many people in the camp are saying to him, "Are we are we really going to go through with this?" I have a much harder time believing that the Dewhurst campaign is having a serious conversation about him conceding than I do about the Hildebrand. I have no knowledge of this one way or the other, but if I, don't you think that Governor Dewhurst would be? I, don't, I, I, think, not, I think most people that have a chance are not sitting around deciding to concede. At the yeah, moment. and I mean, you have to remember there is still Todd Stables got 18%, Jerry Patterson got 12%, that's 30%, that is up for grabs. But one or both of those guys may endorse Dewhurst. Right, and they both have had pretty tense relationship with, with Dan Patrick um, going into this. So, right. I, I mean, I think that. I mean, that's, I guess, a, a, a silver lining for the Dewhurst campaign. But there's still, I mean, anyway, you look at it, this is an incumbent that campaigned hard, was on the campaign trail, spent money, had more name ID than any of the other guys going in, and he still didn't make it to 30% of the vote. You know, I mean, we've, we've seen this movie before. We know what David Dewhurst is like in, in a runoff. I mean, and I think that even if all of those, let's just say all of the Staples voters and all the Patterson voters decide that they're going to jump behind uh, behind Dewhurst, you know, this is a runoff where not that many people turn out. Dan right. Patrick has clearly mobilized a lot more people than we thought he'd mobilized. Uh, I just, I don't really see a path forward. Well, I think, I mean, I think the play has to be that, um, you know, somehow the group of not Dan Patrick voters becomes larger than the group of not David Dewhurst voters. And I think that we haven't seen the kinds of attacks that are actually making traction with with, uh, Dan Patrick. I I, I know that the reports of hiring the undocumented workers came out a few days into early voting, and, okay, maybe more people had cast their votes. Seemed to have have had no effect at all. But, I mean, yeah. Poor Jerry Patterson's private eye was not very effective. (laughs) Right. Right. And I mean, maybe maybe there's more of that to come down the pipeline, but I think that it's going to there's it's going to have to be some different kind of thing. Every every second place finisher in a case like this, when you ask them how are you going to come back and win in a runoff, they go oppo, oppo. <laughs> well, you know, there's an interesting thing right. here about about the synergy on the ticket. There's a bunch of runoffs in May. It's an unusual, you know, the the Cruz Dewhurst runoff was just two guys, and there wasn't any other reason to show up. We got July, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and it was in July. Yeah. Got plenty of plenty. This of one's stuff, the day yeah. after Memorial Day, which is inconvenient. But people are still in school. People haven't gone on vacation yet, and you have five statewide runoffs. So you, right. So if you start looking at this ticket, if you were looking at the initial primary ticket, 
34 Republicans in seven races. It's sort of like, you know, sort it out, find your, you know, it's like go into the coat room and find your jacket. This one's pretty clean. This is five races, 10 candidates, this group over here, this group over here, yep. this kind of Republican, that kind of Republican. Do yep. you get some synergy between Patrick, Paxton, as you go down the ballot? I'm assuming there's five, unless Hager finds 74 votes. I, th I think there's an interesting conversation about the lieutenant governor's race. It pivots off of what you said about the, where, what role, if any, the Staples and the, and the Patterson people have. You know, you're correct. There is antipathy, most definitely, between the Patterson end of this race and the Patrick end. Even between the Staples end and the Patrick end, the Staples campaign is going to have to figure out to do, what they're going to do with all those Lieutenant Gobiner shirts that they had made up, actually, for this race. You know, The, the Staples people have been absolutely merciless in, in behind the scenes, picking at Patrick and picking at Patrick right. and trying to, to, to say everything nasty that they could about him. I can't believe that Staples now comes out all of a sudden and supports a, a, a Patrick. I mean, it, would, it would seem out of character. On the other hand, woe to the person who underestimates Dan Patrick. Remember, we all, many of us in this room, remember the Dan Patrick Senate race when, when you know, it was going to be Senator Peggy Hamrick, measure the drapes. And Patrick came along and won that race without a runoff. I think Patrick has a lot more of fire and staying power than people give him credit for, and I think this is yet another piece of evidence of that. The fact that the Staples people and the Patterson people may not like Patrick is not a big surprise. I think you have to feel like Patrick is is in the driver's seat here. I, I don't know. I don't know how else to look at it. But that doesn't make it a done deal, does it? Right. No, it's not a done deal. But and I mean, Dan Pat Dan Patrick is going to have to raise more money to 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 stick around right. in the race. I mean, there's there, there's this power of the grassroots momentum, but David Dewhurst also has a lot of personal financial resources that he can put into this, and he said ha that hasn't that helped he him in previous cases. Well, like he came this. in late in this race. That was one of the interesting things about this, is he came in late in his advertising in this race. This wasn't, you know, the, you know, the hammer of Thor or anything. I mean, there wasn't, we weren't watching David Dewhurst wall-to-wall -wall ads, you know, like we were, I guess, in the cruise. So let's assume that he decides to spend a ton of money between, this is it, basically. His career, his political career is over if he loses this race. So let's assume he's in a fight for my life situation. And he gets blessing to spend, pick a number, $15 million between now and the end of May, some, some crazy amount of money. What is his case against Patrick? What's the case? It's, you, you know, you're right. It's oppo. It's gotta, What's gotta, the case? It's the tallest piece We've of heard about the vasectomy. We've heard about the bankruptcy. We've heard about the change in name. We've now heard about the alleged illegal immigrants that Patrick hired. Dan Patrick is like that operation game. As, I mean, the, the, there's no skin. There's no bones. It's open, man. That's it. There, what, I, I, what are you going to say about it? I don't, I don't know if uh, you've heard about that stuff. I'm not sure voters have heard about that stuff other than the uh, undocumented worker thing. That's the only thing that was if really big in the papers. If, if voters haven't heard about it by now, then the Staples-Patterson and Dewhurst campaigns ought to sue their consultants for malpractice. I know that none of the consultants could turn up the vasectomy tapes. You know, Dan Patrick had a vasectomy on the radio, and nobody could find the audio. Maybe, maybe that's Jerry Patterson's private... Inspector's uh, right. yeah. project. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sort of new definition of private inspector, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, private's investigator. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Good one. You were that close. He's just that awake. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I, th I think that might do it for the lieutenant governor's race for us, though. Morgan. Okay. I guess I have to leave now. Yeah. yeah. Right. Thanks right for joining us. You can now go back to sleep. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think we're going to bring up Amon Vafija.
Do you have any uh, sort of fascinating stats to dazzle us with in the meantime? So 20, transition. Twenty-six point ninety-nine is the percentage of not Bush vote in the Republican primary. Um, that's what David Watts got. Sort of the Gary Espinoza of this race, right? Nobody knows who he is. Business consultant from East Texas files against Bush just to see what happens, and the see what happens vote was twenty-six point nine. Gets a couple of endorsements from papers that were annoyed that George P. Bush wouldn't sit with their editorial boards. Right. 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 Didn't, didn't matter. You know, which seemed to enforce the idea that, you know, uh, Dave Carney and others have espoused about if you get a newspaper endorsement in a Republican primary, it's a step backwards. Who got all the endorsements in, this, in these races? Jay Carnes headed back on the fifth place train to Uvalde. Right. Well, it was a... It was Hildebrand, a, right? Right, right. Dewhurst got a lot. Carnes did have some good quotes that uh, got out there, and maybe that'll have an effect on the state. You know, abstinence doesn't work for cows. Yeah. That could yeah. catch yeah, on. There, so he didn't, have, he didn't have no effect. Didn't seem to matter. <laughs> right. yeah. So why did, uh, was it Joe Hogan? Jim Hogan. Jim Hogan. Oh, please, can we just spend the whole rest oh, of the time to... talking about Kinky Friedman and Hogan, please? Well, this is pro- I think this is probably the most surprising. That's why Jason Stanford just walked in at the exact perfect moment. <laughs> you own Kinky Friedman. Do you want to, Jason Sanford has worked for and against Kinky Friedman? You can't, you just point to people in the crowd, remembering there are thousands of people who are just going to hear this on audio. Tens of thousands. The price is right, they'll get over it. He raised his hand earlier. Right. (laughs) But if you want to to talk about the Ag Commissioner race on the Democratic side, that that was one of the most surprising results of last night. Hugh Fitzsimmons, who the Democratic Party had all but endorsed. Robo I mean, called on behalf of. Robo called saying, uh, yeah, Leticia Vandepute right. did robo calls in Houston, San Antonio, and Austin. Don't vote for Friedman, the comedian. That comedian. You right. know. Uh, he came up third in the three-way race. He was the Carnes of that race. Heath Fitzsimmons was. Yes. Right. Also got all the endorsements. Uh, Kinky Friedman, who you guys may know from, they don't make Jews like Jesus anymore. And he other started songs. his tour for the Texas Agriculture Commission in Tulsa, which is a great city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just a fantastic can't make this Perfect. stuff up. He came in second, and then this guy, Jim Hogan, who's a farmer in Cleburne, came in first. Uh, I talked to Jim Hogan in December, and I said, how are you going to win this race? You are sort of the odd man out. You don't have any money. He didn't raise any money. He raised, he spent maybe 5000 bucks. Um, he spent a lot of time coming to the Texas Tribune office and handing over reams of uh, pages of handwritten notes he had about the future of the state. Well, he told me he'd read a book about how to be ag commissioner. Yeah, but... Um, he said that he was going to win because people would go down the ballot and they'd see Kinky Friedman. They'd be like, oh, I don't know, I know all about him. I'm not going to go for him. Then they'd see Hugh Asa Fitzsimmons III and they'd be like, oh, no. And then they'd see Jim Hogan and think, that's a nice name. And I guess he was right. He called it. I, well, pres- presumably, a lot of Texas Democrats voted for Jim Hogan and Kesha Rogers without knowing anything about them. And who's Kesha Rogers? Uh, she is, and uh, I just saw a few minutes ago online, some of your outlets are reporting that it is a runoff between Alameda and Rogers. Right. And so they finally resolved that. Yeah, Alameda yeah. got about 47, 40, yeah. 48%. So uh, Kesha Rogers is a LaRouche Democrat, and she has uh, said publicly many times that she thinks Obama should be impeached. That's her platform, I thought. Is it, yeah, it's a big part of it. Opposes yeah. the Affordable Care Act, right? Yeah, she said she wants to bring the Democratic Party back to the party of FDR and JFK. And, and she and Kinky Friedman are the two candidates who the party basically came out and said... Walked away from. Yeah, please right. don't vote for these <clears throat> folks. The negative endorsement. And yet. <laughs> but they're pretty... Uh, I, mean, they're, I wouldn't lump them together as candidates, though. No, uh, no well, clearly not. But it's a clear sign that a lot of people went to vote and saw a race where they didn't know any of the candidates and just picked a name they liked. But Keisha, Keisha Rogers has won two Democratic primaries. Right. I mean, this is becoming past. a trend. 
Yeah. I think it's hard to believe that most of the voters knew Keisha Rogers' views. This, she's, this, been, she's been colonizing Miles. Texans want to colonize Yeah, and, and I think this concept of ballot name, I mean, I think a lot of people think that when we in the press talk about, well, somebody has a good ballot name or a bad ballot name and that has an effect on stuff. No, actually, it does have an effect on stuff. Because in the absence of information, people go through and they look for a pleasant-seeming Or a name that feels familiar. Name. Yeah. Right. You know, in that respect, it's good to be Wayne Christian. Right? Even if you don't know Wayne Christian, Wayne Christian's a great ballot name. Well, there are a bunch of great ballot names on this, on this ballot, and I think that probably the Kesha Rogers vote and the Hogan vote are at least in part because of that. Right. Yeah. Ask, ask Malachi Boyles if it matters. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think both parties try so hard to get people out to vote, and I think they need to like, refine that to say, if you don't know any of the candidates, it's okay to skip a race. <laughs> So I, I'm wondering what I'm wondering what the Democratic. That's a new robocall. I'm, I'm wondering what the Democratic Party of Te- not that this necessarily matters, but what does the Democratic Party of Texas now do with Kinky? So they've got a runoff between, you know, Farmer uh, Hogan, who's got eight cents in his account and is delivering handwritten notes to the press, which is ordinarily reason to call security, right? No, no, no. But before you discourage between... people from bringing us uh, their thoughts, you know, right. all candidates are welcome to bring us their handwritten right. notes. Right. You, you can be in the office when they show up. That's, that's how, how Reeve turns yeah. in his stories. Right. Yeah. So you've got Farmer Hogan on the one hand, and then you've got Kinky, and the Democratic Party has already basically said, we're, we, we, you know, we're done with Kinky, we want nothing to do with Kinky, the chairman of the party has Senator Van De Pute, the Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor, is robo-called against him. He could very well be, they have much bigger be problems. The nominee. They, yeah. they have much bigger they have problems. Much bigger they, problems. They, they turned out 550,000 voters, give or take, in a statewide election, and you know that's that's barely enough people that Robert would know. It's been too. going down and down and down and down. Not where, enough people to elect a mayor of Houston. Well, it's, where's all this battleground Texas voter mobilization happening? Right. Because they didn't show up. They're and, waiting you know, for the runoff. Wendy Davis got significantly fewer votes than Bill White did. The Democrats turned out significantly fewer votes. In the aggregate, than they have turned out in previous. They've dropped equally non-competitive they've, they've primary dropped in every cycles. primary since the peak in 2008, when Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama drew out 2.8. Right. 2.9 million. I mean, these were not. Uh, many of them were not contested races. So if you're a Democrat and you're right. you're voting, you know, November is probably the time you want to turn out. But that said, you know. Well, but Greg, but, but by comparison, Greg Abbott got significantly mm-hmm. more votes in his primary than Rick Perry got in his last primary mm-hmm. in, in 2010. I mean, the fact is, the Republican turnout was good. About 1.3. Democratic turnout was not good. And for all this discussion of, you know, we're going to see this trend line uh, swing in the direction of, of Democrats, the, the problem is what the problem has been. The votes are just not there. They've got to be, they've got to have somebody over there wondering if they shouldn't go back to the smoke-filled room. <laughs> well, let's just pick some people and throw them out. Now, now, that's not to say that with the heat at the time, I mean, you do have at the top of the ticket on the Democratic side for the fall, you've got not department store mannequins or cardboard cutouts for the first time, really, in 20 years. You've got an actual candidate for governor, lieutenant governor, who will go out and will actually have some heat behind them, some, and will be able to run a credible, if not a competitive, race. But south of that on the ballot... You know, Mike Collier, the candidate for comptroller, is in an earlier era the kind of person Democrats nominated and elected all the time. Right. Is so anybody going to pay that, attention? I feel like and then you go what, south of that, and what happens? I know what you're that, gonna, that's I what gets said every four years. Right. You know, is that this time we actually have a legitimate candidate. This time we don't have a cardboard cutout. And this that was said about candidates that got more than 70% of their primary. Exactly. Right. Well, but surely you agree that, 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 that at least from a brand, from an outbound brand standpoint, Davis and Van present differently. Than Bill, com- Bill White and, and you know, uh, Linda Chavez Thompson. There were no Vogue profiles of Bill White. 
There were no, there were no Vogue profiles of Bill White. There, there were no, right. Not but, a lot of know, Vogue readers in, in Texas, I'm But we said that time around, this is somebody with much higher name ID, you know, in a, in a huge metropolitan area in Texas. And Successful that, mayor of Houston with Republican a, support, exactly. bunch of money. Yeah. Right. Yep. Right. So, so Amon. So then it's over. So you all are prepared to say it's over. It, you know, you got to show me a way that they get something more than what they've gotten before. I, mean, I can do the I'm math. In a show me mode here. I, I can do the math, but I'm willing to say that at least between now and November. Who, 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 yeah, who, but we're who, fight promoters. That's what you're supposed to do. Right. I want to promote the fight. I mean, we, we thought that Rick and Kay was going to be Ali Frazier. It was the thriller in vanilla. It was the most boring race in history. Yeah. And I think a lot of us in the press, honestly, were cheering for that race to be better than it was. And there's certainly probably some, some truth to the fact that the press would like to see a more competitive race for the press's sake not for Texas's sake. I'll grant you that the math and the map don't give any confidence to the idea that this is a really competitive I, I race. I just want to get Ted Nugent and Kinky, Kinky Freeman, Freeman on the same God, stage. please, I know. <laughs> the argument for Sid Miller winning that race and Kinky winning on the Democratic side is that it becomes a Ted Nugent versus Kinky Friedman general election and ag commission race. Yeah. Best oh, my, that would be the yeah, best thing. Fight club, right? Yeah. right? Ted Nugent is Sid Miller's campaign treasurer. Right. I think we'd have to bring Jesse Ventura back down for that. would be great. Yeah. I bet we could. Well, any other big surprises, Amon? last night that stood out to you? Uh, I think how well Pete Sessions did. Uh, Katrina Pearson in Dallas drew really impressive endorsements. She had Sarah Palin, she had Michelle Malkin, she had Ted Cruz's father, and Ted Cruz said something nice to her, which, about her, which was kind of yeah, weird. Work, of worked for Ken Paxton. Yeah. yeah, it worked for right. other candidates. Ted Cruz, you know, praised in public without officially endorsing. Did they Sessions did win or did Pearson lose? I think Pearson never got enough funding. She right. was severely outmatched in funding and just wasn't able to compete. She, there was a, a third, some third-party group that put some TV ads for her and radio ads, but not a significant buy. And I, I mean, Katrina Pearson told me last night that I think a lot of people voted and didn't, had never even heard of me. Well, in Sessions, you know, session, give Sessions some credit. You know, that race had significant overlap with the Huffines Corona race. And you would, you know, you might expect a Huffines voter to be a potential Pearson voter. But there were Huffines uh, Sessions voters, clearly. I mean, it overlapped a bunch of other races where Candidates probably more in tune with Pearson than with Sessions did well. I think you know Sessions managed his way out of this. So we talk about the cruise. Can we talk about the cruise effect? Do you mind if we talk about the cruise effect? I don't mind. So, so well, it's your deal. Well, no. so, 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 well, then I'll be quiet. What about the cruise effect? So, cruise. Didn't did, we just talk about that? Well, I don't know that we actually did because if you look at cruise across the board, cruise really played a role in this whole deal. He plays a role in every deal. But he, but he did. I mean, there was a lot of discussion of did he actually endorse or did he just support? And is it, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, there's right. no way you could walk away from that Ken Paxton ad and not think he was endorsed. Anything but an endorsement. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's Ted Cruz's voice chasing you all the way to the refrigerator where you're pulling out a Miller Lite. You know, it was a really good ad. It made Ken Paxton. It took him from here to here. I mean, that, you know, Ken Paxton, you know, should buy him groceries for a month. He um, had an impact in that race, and the only well, non judicial candidate he endorsed was Connie Burton right. in to, for Wendy Davis' Senate seat, and she's in a runoff. So, I mean, you could actually say Connie Burton maybe underperformed because... She ended up in the 40s, right? Yeah. There and were five candidates, five Republicans in that race, and she was up against Mark Shelton, former... Who was the nominee last time. But she was right. clearly the Tea Party darling in that race, and 
Cruz coming out and only picking her of any everyone on the ballot who was not a judge running, only her to officially endorse. And he sent out emails encouraging right. the, his supporters to, to vote for her. So, I mean, you could almost argue she underperformed. And so the Cruz effect that you want to discuss is sort of not clear. It sort of helps some, Seems, doesn't help others. Feels, I don't feels think, clear to me. I don't think a single Republican would have run from that endorsement. I think that that's, that's the, as, as the endorsements go, and you can argue about you know, whether endorsements help or not, but... You know, that was the endorsement that oh, was the golden ticket. Yeah, but Katrina good. Pearson doesn't, uh, isn't the winner today. I think she's the, I think she's the, the rare case where his laying, I, I hand, think laying on of hands didn't make a difference. I think it's just not enough. You need money to yeah. win. <laughs> you need right. a lot yeah, of money. Either Cruz or Cruz and money. Take Cruz and yeah, money. Right. Right. But well, but Branch, yeah. Branch really outspent Paxton. And uh, the Cruz uh, support, not an endorsement. <laughs> right. The crew support, like we said, did seem to boost him a lot. It is amazing that they were all, you know, all the Republican candidates were basically scrambling for Cruz to just say nice things about them somehow because they knew he wouldn't, you know, officially endorse. So it was, you know, Ted Cruz once said a nice thing to me, you know, at a cocktail party. And right. here it is on my campaign literature. Uh, you brought up Branch. You covered the AG's race or are covering the AG's race. What was Branch's problem here? Why, you know, Branch had a ton of money. He had more money in the bank than Smitherman and Paxton combined as of a couple of weeks ago. What, what, why did Branch only get a third of the vote? Well, you know, uh, Branch is not the uh, Cruz-like figure in the race, if you want to talk about the Cruz effect. Uh, Ted Cruz didn't say anything particularly nice about him. You know, he tried to promote the fact that he had sort of uh, people that had worked with Cruz were supporting him. But, you know, he has to overcome sort of a framing of him as more of an establishment figure. Even though the Times said the establishment guys had a great night, uh, I think that's a hurdle for him. But how is he more, I mean, how is he more establishment than Ken Paxton? Paxton? He's he's a Strauss chair. That's like the cuss word of this election. Well, and Branch is is the perfect statewide candidate for the Bush era of Texas Texas politics. Right. And and the question is whether that part of the Republican Party can assert itself in a race like this. Doesn't look like it yet. I mean, they haven't they haven't yet. Um, And this is we're in the Cruz era now. Yeah, I mean, you just just look at their time in the House together. One was a Strauss chair. One was running against Strauss for Speaker. So uh, it's sort of pretty clear cut difference between the two. Uh, we might actually have to, even though you were only here so briefly, but it was wonderful. We have to move Amon <laughs> off the stage. You, you and need to quickly work on your transitions. Get, yeah. Quickly get uh, Jim Henson from the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin up here. Any very quick uh, facts for us, Ross? He's moving fast. So. You know, the, I want to point out that the um, scare that the you know Republicans had over judges. You know, they were defending these four Supreme Court justices against renegade Republicans, you know, um, Robert Talton and, and some others, uh, those races turned into not such a big deal. Um, Nathan Hecht and the other three had uh, the endorsements of Cruz and Perry. And in this case, you know, we didn't talk about Perry's endorsements. They were few and ineffective, um, except in these, in these court races. And, you know, that, that turned out to be kind of a nothing burger. Here's one stat that I thought that Mr. Shields, uh, uh, sitting with us here, I have to be remember the visual here, uh, told me before that 10 of the incoming members of the Senate, it appears, out of 31 will be first or second term senators. That the, the changeover last time and the changeover this time is going to produce, uh, you know, an experienced deficit in the Senate. The likes of which we probably have. Or, ha- or, haven't, or haven't an infusion of fresh blood, time. however you want right. to spin it. Yeah, I mean, right. you can spin it the other way also, right. which is that it's all new folk. Point is, you're going to have a ton of people, very possibly even some freshman chairmen, right? As, as all this shakes out. 
Well, just very quickly before we move to Q&A, uh, Jim, maybe you could shed some light on why some of the people that were leading in our UTTT poll that came out recently uh, either finished, if not first, uh, second or third. That was, a, that was such a wonderfully polite way of putting that. <laughs> I love you, Reef. Deborah Medina. Um, yeah, I mean, Deborah I, Medina know, was in the lead, and now she didn't quite make it to the. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think there's a few things going on here. I think, you know, there, there's kind of I think the commonsensical thing that, that Ross and I were talking about before this that everyone was talking about, I think, is probably not the biggest thing, but. Clearly, we were in the field, you know, early February. Uh, a lot of the media buys had not really been Out of the field by yet. the 17th. Right. So Yeah, the idea was don't poll while people are actually right. voting. Right. And so I think, you know, there was probably some attitudinal shift among some people in some of those races. Um, you know, everyone was talking about the, Pax, uh, the Paxton ad with Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is, is gold right now among right. the Republican primary electorate. I think... You know, there are a couple of things that are probably bigger, though. I mean, honestly, the composition of the electorate this time was very conservative. I mean, you were, you've been using the line, Ross, about the people, you know, going, you know, ticking off the conservative candidates. Well, that's not because you had, you know, a, a random selection of people voting in Republican primary right. suddenly figuring out how to vote for. That's because you had a very... The composition of the electorate was very conservative, and as we kind of go back and reverse engineer our likely voter screen, I think we probably missed that to some degree. We used our general likely voter screen that's been pretty successful in the past, and I think it just misestimated just how conservative the electorate was going to be on the Republican side this time. Well, it was a largely undecided electorate. I mean, it was like people really didn't know. Who right. they were I mean, talking about when you talked to them? In yeah, I, mean, February, I think there right? were two things on those on, on the comptroller's race and the AG race. Uh, we the US had Senate race, Democratic side. Yeah, I mean, we had like huge amounts of people undecided before we pushed them, and you have to push them, or you don't push them. Then Evan says, "How come there's so many undecided people here right before the election?" <laughs> and uh, that's not the only reason, but that's kind of how you know how that shakes out. And the other thing is a very low turnout, low information election. So. When we looked at the approval number, at the favorable, unfavorable numbers among all of the candidates for lieutenant governor, about a fifth in on all of those, in all of those uh, items, about a fifth of the people had no opinion of the people running. Right. right. So you know it's volatile, and when you go in, you know it's yeah. very subject to what the composition of the electorate looks like. Yeah, I think all, all hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, per, per the cliche, the fact is that that Patrick and Paxton do appear to have been surging at about the, the end of the week that we came out of the field. We actually heard that from some of the campaigns in those right. races, that they believe that Patrick and Paxton were both surging. And so it's possible that we came out on the front end of that yeah. and that the streams crossed us subsequently. Yeah. I mean, you know, these, these things are very volatile. A poll's a snapshot of a moment in time. Well, I mean, I also think that, you know, I mean, the common sense that comes out of, you know, all of the, you know, the kind of Nate Silver generation is absolutely correct. You know, no no individual pollster or, or survey researcher wants to say that wants to really admit this at a given time, but it's completely true that the best predictor is the sum of several polls because you're taking several samples that are not all at the same time. Yeah, right. um, so you know, we'll we'll write about this probably in the next couple of days. If you go back now and look, there are a lot of indications from what we got in the initial sample of just who these voters were. We really miss exit polls here. Yeah, you know, in Texas. really miss exit polls. Right. It'd be nice to have that information. Yeah. Well, and you got that Corn and Stockman split right on, so congratulations <laughs> for that. <laughs> yes, and you called Wendy Davis and Greg Abbott winning their primaries. That's awesome. <laughs>
that, that's, that's the only time you'll ever hear Evan Smith quoting Christy Hobby. <laughs> Way to go, Gallup. <laughs> All right. Well, on behalf of Morgan, Amon, Jim, Emily, Ross, Evan, Myself and all of our photo and audio and visual folks over here. Our producer, Todd, who we always thank. You can meet him in person if you want. He'll take out his headphones and say hello to you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for uh, listening to us. Now we will transition into Q&A, but that's the end of the official portion. We can loosen our ties and sort of... This is uh, the part that people have to play in their cars and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So we're over with that now. And now, Jim, if you could just stand up and take the microphone to someone. Oh, you want me to do that? Yeah, just raise your hands. Can I, can I throw it? Thanks, guys. And they can be questions about politics, policy, zoology, anything really. Handicap uh, Michael Quinn Sullivan versus Team Strauss last night. I think this is where we started. I, I think it was a split. Evan thinks it was a Michael Quinn Sullivan night. I think it was a Michael Quinn Sullivan. I think it was Cooney Norton. I think that the establishment Republicans are on the canvas at about thirty seconds. But it's not a clear cut. Right? Seliger did win his race, and they—he's been pretty. That was more or less like a Sullivan. Sel- Seliger won Seliger his race, fight. but but you, you could have filled an entire water tank with Kel Seliger's sweat until about 10.30 last night. Right. There was a moment when, you know, Seliger was floating around 51, and, and the biggest portion of uncounted votes were, we're from Midland We're in Midland. Going, I mean, and wow. That's, you know. there, there were moments last night where we were saying Seliger may lose this race. Right. We were saying Keffer may lose this race. I mean, again, saving Keffer and Seliger and Crownover under these circumstances, I would respectfully say, is not a... An even split. I think, you I think, look at the Sullivan endorsement list. He had a very good night. I think part of this is offense always looks better than defense, and and Sullivan was in a position of challenging people, and everyone you knock off is a win, and everyone you don't knock off is sort of is a win for the other side. But it doesn't really look like the kind of thing you would wave a flag about. I think if you actually look at the numbers, it was um, I think it was uh, eight incumbents went and. Um, in these contested races, it was sort of a split. It came out relatively on a number basis, relatively even. But they wanted, they, you know, they didn't. They That's didn't not beat, how it will spin. They didn't beat J.D. Sheffield. They beat the other Sheffield. Right. People may have thought they were voting against the Sheffield they were supposed to vote against. Fine. Um, but they got Bennett Ratliff. Right. They got Lance Gooden. They got George Lavender. They got Corona. They kept Donna Campbell out of a runoff. They got Diane Patrick. Linda Har- they got Linda Harper Brown. They, uh, 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 they I hear it over here. Stickland, <laughs> Stickland uh, held on. Schaefer held on. The targets that the the parent pack guys were after on the other side got reelected pretty pretty easily. Do we need to say who Michael Quinn Sullivan is, or can we just assume that people know at this point? We can assume people know. Well, that's a victory in itself. I think. <laughs> Terrific overview of the uh, politics and the results last night. I would love to hear your assessment of the impact on governance, on the ability of Texas elected officials to come together to address the great problems and challenges that Texas faces. We're not going to do much of that until at least November. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, these guys are responsive to the people who elect them. 
you know, if you can't say anything else about politicians, it's, you know, why are they acting like that? It's because that's the people who elected them. And the, and the voice last night was not about governance. That's not what we're talking about at this point. And so what's, you know, the signal that they're getting is, you know, mind the right. You know, there's a, you know, there's a, a special, sen- special election for Senate going on right now in the Woodlands where Steve Toth is, you know, running to the right of Brandon Craig. Brandon Craig is you know the these characters, You know, think about that for a minute. Um, the, you know, I, I think the Republicans are looking at this and going, you know, there's only certain things I can do without stepping on the third rail here. And the third rail became very clear last night. The Senate is often said to be the, the saucer that cools the cup, right? That's the, you sort of think about this. The Senate is going to be a hot plate Right. Next, yeah, but, uh, ne- next time. They've said that uh, ever I mean, I, my first session that I covered was in 2009, and that was a session where people were like, oh, the Senate is acting like the House. And every session I've heard since then is like, oh, the well, Senate, it's so totally crazy. But, I think, but I think the composite, when you add to the five who came in last time, Campbell, Schwertner, Taylor, Hancock, Paxton, now you put Van Taylor in for Paxton. You put in Betancourt, you put in either Creighton or Toth, doesn't matter. Right. Uh, you know, you add in some of these. Huffines. You put in Huffines. Peace. I get that. It's, we always say this. Look, Dan Patrick has said two things about his intentions if he's lieutenant governor that I'm aware of. One is that Jane Nelson will be chair of finance. The second is that Donna Campbell will be chair of public education. And that he'll encourage them to lower the two-thirds rule to 19. He'll take the two-thirds rule down to 19. Democrats would have only, presumably, if uh, Connie Burton or Mark Shelton were to beat Libby Willis in SD10, which, let's be honest, is the more likely outcome at this point. So the Republicans have 20. Um, you know, the big complaint against Governor Dewhurst that not only Patrick but the others made is he created Wendy Davis by not bringing up the abortion legislation during the regular session. Well, the two-thirds rule was the impediment to that. No two-thirds rule, no impediment. So if Lieutenant Governor Patrick is to be taken, in his, if he is the Lieutenant Governor, is to be taken in his word, then you're going to have no two-thirds rule. You're going to have extraordinarily conservative chairs of committees, including, as I say, Senator Campbell as chair of public ed, uh, potentially, and, and, and Nelson on finance, and what, who knows where else. Even if Dewhurst pulls this out, you get rid of the two-thirds rule. In right. their debates, all four right. of these candidates on the Republican right. side have said, yeah, yeah, 60%. I mean, I think another issue question is, is Bob Duncan going to be the chancellor of the Texas Tech University system? That's another open question, unresolved. If right. Duncan disappears, Charles Perry's, I'm, I'm told reliably, Charles Perry already has the logo for that Senate campaign, right, ready. So you may be talking about another disappearance of a, quote, moderate, right. quote, Replaced by somebody who would be more of a movement conservative in that in that deal. So it's a. But that's where you're going to see a, the biggest change in governance is whoever comes out of the lieutenant governor's runoff. I right. would imagine, right. and you know there have been sort of whispers in the capital of like, oh well, if it's Patrick, you know there are people with strong feelings about him. They might try to change the rules, but I think it's hard to see no all these new senators the actually Senate doing always, that. You know moans and complains and says, you know, we're going to get that guy, we're going to take all the stuff. They never do it. There's as much a chance, candidly, if Van Depute is the lieutenant governor, let's assume Patrick, you know, trips over his tie or an asteroid hits him or who knows what between now and the fall. If he ends up being the nominee and Van Depute were to somehow pull this race out, there's as much of a chance that the 20 Republicans in the Senate would strip her power that there is that the Democrats would somehow find a couple of wayward Republicans to strip Patrick's power. It's not going to happen. Just a quick comment, Ross. He's coming after me. I can yeah, see. So I, I really think, notes. Oh uh, yeah, I've been taking notes, but I really think you're you're underestimating the influence of Empower Texas, Mike and Quinn Sullivan. I'm not they, underestimating the influence. I, well, you but said on, it was a draw. On a numeric on a numeric basis, they split the races. 
except that they uh, defeated seven incumbent legislators and they had a tremendous impact in five statewide elections. So I, 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 you can't call it a draw. And Lauren, you said we've seen this movie before uh, with uh, Dewhurst in the runoff. Uh, sometimes the sequel turns out to be very different uh, than, than the original movie. I, I'm anticipating this will be the most negative campaign we've ever seen. And it could have an impact. It could shift uh, things. Well, one issue in question, Brad, is going to be whether the business community, which has been very uh, a, a privately but loudly walking up and down Congress Avenue saying there is no way we could let Dan Patrick be lieutenant governor. Let's, let's just say this out loud, okay? A lot of talk behind the scenes. We've got to do something about this. This is going to be put up or shut up time for the business community if that's in fact true. I think the AG's race is also going to be remarkably negative. I think Evan was right when he said, you know, the rule in runoffs is oppo. And I think both of these, everybody wants to be the tallest piece of rubble on May 28th. Right. I mean, the biggest problem for these candidates to date is that there's just not enough difference between them. Right. So now that we're at this point, the, the only thing they can do, they don't have differences to explain, so they just have to attack each other. Right. So my question was, Battleground, Texas. I mean, 6,000 volunteers, all of the money, turn Texas blue. You had a lower turnout this time in the Democratic primary than we've had in the last two. Well, how do you, what's your thought on what happened? If I well, were an auditor, I'd want well, to you know, if I was getting my money's worth. The, 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 I mean, the battleground Texas defense is that their play was never in the short term. It was always a long-term play, right? And it sort of got conflated with the Wendy Davis campaign. Right, and that they sort of but got they would say it was, they were looking much further out than that. Well, it partly got conflated because they're sharing money. But. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's I mean, conflate or heal thyself. I'm that's, not actually sure that I think there's a, an argument to be made that you can't embrace it when it's convenient and run away from it when it's convenient. That was the generous view I was offering. I figured that you would give the ungenerous view. No, I mean, they have said that this is a long game. It's a safe bet. And that they sort of got, you know, that I don't think any of them really expected they were going to have a candidate like Wendy Davis at this point. And so this was really about voter mobilization long term and resources in parts of Texas where they haven't had resources before. But, you know, it has been conflated a little bit with, with the Wendy Davis stuff, but I don't think you can look at these kinds of numbers in a primary and say that they've had a noticeable effect. So now they know what not to do. <laughs> well, they, they, didn't have, they didn't have the kind of races that attract people to the polls, you know, on the Democratic side this time. Um, I think, you know, if you, in, you know, when we get four or six years down the line, we're going, you know, however this thing goes... Wendy Davis is really just a vehicle for what they're trying to do in the longer term. And a lot of people think, you know, well, maybe they're building a Clinton campaign. Maybe they're building a this or a that. A year ago when they started Battleground Texas, before the whole Wendy Davis bottle rocket, these guys were saying, look, this is a six-year deal. And you're not going to really see it in 14. You probably will only see some of it in 16. And some of the serious candidates that the Democrats were looking at at that time you know, if your name is Castro, raise your hand. Um, if your name is Elise Parker, raise your hand. We're saying, I might run, but not yet. And I think not yet is probably still the right answer for the Democrats. If, if, if a Democrat wins this year, it's going to be a remarkable upset, and we'll get a big, giant headline out of it, because it's not the expected result. Nobody else? All right. Is that it for questions? And you are all free to go about your day. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thank you. <laughs>